And as you do, open up your Bibles again to the book of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, as I mentioned and alluded to just a little, a few moments ago, uh, we have started a new series entitled The Theology of the Hearer. And uh, that's a unique uh, title, of course, and uh, many of us have probably never even heard that specific title. But I want to say this, if you were not here last week, and you didn't get the opportunity to hear the first message, I want to encourage you either to get one of the CDs. They're free um, um, outside uh, here afterwards. uh, Put your name in, get a CD made, or to go on the website and to either download or listen online to the first sermon because each of these sermons are going to build on each other. I'm going to keep repeating, but they build on each other. So you don't want to miss any of these um, uh, eight to nine sermons that I'm going to be uh, presenting to you over the next few weeks. Well, this, the whole concept or the whole point behind this theology of the hearer is this. We want to take a look, a holistic look at the Word of God to see what it says specifically on the subject of hearing the Word of God. And more specifically, what it says about hearing the Word of God when it's preached, the preached Word of God. What does the Bible say to us? What does the Bible say our responsibility is when, when the Word of God is preached How should we listen? And so we want to see what the Word of God says about that. And um, one of the keys that that I've been doing started last week and will continue to do is each week I'm going to give you a different theological principle, a different theological truth concerning listening. And uh, what I hope to do is by giving these, which we call hearing aids, that you and I, by the end of this series, will become better listeners to the preaching of the Word of God. More biblical listeners. That's our hope. And last week, we begin with the first theological truth, and that was that God speaks. So hearing aid number one was God speaks. And we looked at a passage in Hebrews chapter one. And what we saw was that God, by his very nature, is a communicative God. He communicates by his very nature. He communicates and he reveals who he is to us because he wants you and I to worship him in spirit and what church and in truth. So he wants us to worship him for who he is. Without God revealing to us certain things about his nature, certain things about his will, and certain things about his way, we would never be able to understand or know those things simply through creation. So God had to create or had to reveal those things to us. And in in Hebrews chapter 1, it told us that God had spoken in many at many times and in many ways. Do you remember this? And many times what God did is over a long period of time, he had revealed different truths concerning who he is, just different bits and pieces over a long period of time. And he did it in many different ways. Sometimes he spoke audibly to his people. Sometimes he used and laid on the hearts of prophets to speak on his behalf. Other times he used angels. Sometimes he would speak through uh, miracles and, and great acts of God. These were all different ways in which God would speak. But the way in which God spoke most clearly and revealed who he was and what his plan is for redeeming mankind most completely was through his son, Jesus Christ. 
through the word becoming flesh. God literally became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name was Jesus. So what Jesus said was to see me was to see the Father. To know Jesus was to know the Father. To know and to listen to Jesus was to listen to the Father, okay? And so we ended on this note, and I know it was a lot of information, uh, but if you've just got what I've just said, then, then you're doing great. The last thing we covered was this. Not only has he spoken in many ways in the past and in many times, and not only has he spoken primarily through his son, but today he is still speaking. God is still speaking to us today primarily through what? Through the written word of God. And one of the keys that we said is the word of God is to be seen as just as binding, just as authoritative, just as true for you and I and for our lives as if God were to come to you, look straight in your face and to speak to you personally that's the same thing that he's done in the Word of God. It's just as authoritative if he were to speak in an audible voice to you. So what that means is when we read it, when we study it, God is speaking to us, and we are either obedient or disobedient to God by either being obedient or disobedient to his written word. So we saw that God speaks. Well, the second hearing aid that we're going to look at today that I believe that helps us to become better biblical listeners or biblical hearers of the word is this. Not only does God speak, but God also speaks through preaching. God speaks through preaching. Now we find ourselves here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And what I want to do is give you just some really quick background that's going to help you to better understand what's going on in this text. Paul is writing to a young man by the name of Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a pastor at a church by the name of Ephesus. He's a young pastor and Paul is writing from prison and most scholars believe that he is writing this, he is penning this the night before his death. He is about to be martyred for his faithfulness to Christ and he's about to give his life. And so these words that he writes in this particular letter to Timothy are really important because these are the, some of the last thoughts that passed through the Apostle Paul's mind before he was to die the next morning. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Even though he is writing right here to a pastor, a young pastor, Timothy, uh, who pastored the church at Ephesus, what he writes to Timothy also pertains to every preacher and who lived in every time and pastors anywhere, okay? So the instructions that he gives to Timothy here is, is a binding and is, is authoritative to this preacher and any other preacher that you've ever had, and it will be until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So when he speaks to Timothy, he is also speaking to us as well. And so with that in mind, what I want you to do is I want to take a look at what he does here. And what I want you to see first is his first... First charge. I want you to see his first charge. In verse 1, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, back up just for a minute. When he says, I charge you, that in the, in the original uh, Greek language, he is speaking as forcibly and as authoritatively as he possibly can. What he's trying to do is he's trying to show him that what he's about to command him is of the utmost importance. Paul is completely serious about what he's about to say and do. Now, remember, Paul was an apostle. 
He was set apart as an apostle by Jesus Christ himself. So he has all the authority in the world to instruct Timothy, this young preacher. Okay, but what he wants to understand, what he wants him to understand is it's not just by his authority that he's about to command him to do something. He wants him to know that there's even a greater authority and that authority is God himself. And so remember when he's writing this, he's not only writing from his own heart, but this is scripture he's writing down. So the Holy Spirit is moving him and guiding him, and he is writing down the very words that God wants him to write. So this command is not only from the mind and the heart of Paul, but more importantly, this command is coming from the mind and the heart of God himself. Do you get that? So it's showing the seriousness of it. That's why I believe he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, I mean, how can you start a letter any more serious than that, right? So he's using very serious terminologies. He's saying, this is not just from me. This command is from God. And then he gives him something that's not only serious, but something sobering. He says in the very next line, he says, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom? And so what he's referring to is who is this that will judge the living and the dead? He's, he's referring specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone has the right to judge the living and the dead. And he will judge every man and every woman. Christ will do it. He was given that right by the Father. Because of his obedience to come to earth and to live a perfect life and to seek to do the will of God and to do it perfectly, God gave him the right to be ruler over all and to be judge over all. So what he's speaking about here is when he says that by his appearing in his kingdom, he's saying that when he comes at his second coming, that Jesus Christ is going to judge those who are living at the time and those who are ultimately died. So catch this. This is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I'm coming to you and I'm about to give you a command that is of the utmost importance. It's not just my command, but it is a command straight from the mind and heart from God. And if that's not serious enough, I want to let you know that what I'm commanding you to do right now, one day you will stand before God and you will give an account and God will judge you based on how faithful you were to do what I'm about to command you to do. So I don't know about you, but he's got my attention. And I'm sure that he would have had Timothy's attention at this point. And so here's the command. This is what he tells him to do. Here's his first charge. He says to preach the word, to preach the word. Now the the word preach there in the original language is a word is the Greek word caruso. And it literally means uh, this. It literally means to proclaim or to herald something, to herald or to proclaim publicly. And this word was used to describe an imperial messenger of the king in the New Testament. The king would have something that he would want to say. He didn't have billboards, so he would send out royal messengers. He would often write something down on a scroll, and then he would send out these royal messengers, and this is what they would do. They would travel to wherever he wanted the word to go, or he would go from town to town. Sometimes it would be a royal decree for the whole kingdom. So he would take this letter, and he would go, and he would speak exactly what the king had had told him to. He wouldn't add anything to it. He wouldn't subtract anything to it. All he would do is merely proclaim that which was already told him, that which was already spoken to him. So Paul uses this word, this word Caruso, this royal messenger to basically describe what a preacher is supposed to do. 
He says the primary purpose of a preacher. I know you've always wondered because young people, I love it. They come and ask me, they say, so what do you do for a living? I love that question. And so I sit there and say, well, I preach. That's what I do for a living. I preach. He goes, and you actually make a living off that? Actually preaching? Yes, so far, it's it's been all right. But he says to preach at this particular point. So his point here is that a preacher is being commanded. Timothy's being commanded. This preacher's being commanded that above all else, that I would preach, proclaim the very word of God. And he says to preach what? The word. And the word here, what is he speaking of, church? He's speaking of the written word. How do we know that? Well, if we were to look back in verses 15 and 16, in context of what he's writing, he had already referred to them back in 15 as the sacred writings. And then in verse 16, he referred to them as scripture. So he says, here's the command. Here's what I want you to do. And this is what you preachers are going to be held accountable for. And God's going to be watching you to see how faithful you do this. He says, I want you to speak, to teach, and to proclaim the words that I have already given you, the written word of God. That's what he's going to ultimately be. Now, folks, that's important for you and I to be able to understand because there's a lot of churches that don't understand that. And and, and pastors are getting their brains beat out because of this very point. There's a young man uh, just a little while ago who had called me up about six months ago and said, Hey, Mike, good buddy of mine. He said, listen, we're looking for a preacher. And I said, what are you looking for? And I always ask that question because really the Bible tells us what they should be looking for, right? In a preacher, right? And so I always ask them that to see if they understand what the Bible calls. And he says, well, this is what we're looking for. Do we need somebody dynamic? We need somebody that can hold your attention when you're preaching. He goes, we need somebody with a big personality. We need somebody that can really administrate. We need a guy that can really lead, kind of like a, like a big-time CEO that can orchestrate and to can really grow our church. And I said, well, brother, what was, what was your former preacher like? What, what did he do? What was he like? And he said, well, he was none of those things. But he was a great teacher and preacher of the Word of God. And I said, and what happened? They go, we got tired of him because he wasn't a good enough CEO. I said, so, so here's a guy who his primary call is to proclaim and to preach the word of God. You say he was excellent at that. And because he wasn't a CEO and because he couldn't put on cool programs and he wasn't funny and engaging from the pulpit, you kicked him out? And he's like... Yeah, I I guess that's what we did. So the point is, this is what God has called a man of God to do and is ultimately what he will be judged for. And there are churches, and you know what we're talking about. The pastor didn't come and hold my hand. The pastor wasn't there at my event. The pastor wasn't there for this. The pastor wasn't there for that. I'm not, listen, I think the pastor should be engaged in things in the church. But, But that's because he's a part of the body of Christ. But the first and foremost priority of how he will be judged by God is how he rightly divides the word of truth. That's it. Now, here's what I want to... And that's why James warns in chapter James chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. God is serious about the preaching of his word. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Do you believe this morning... That every preacher in America, every preacher in Nassau County preaches the word of God. Do you believe that? 
I, I would say no, right? Would we be safe to say that probably, even by reference of this, of him saying, I'm going to judge you, is saying that there are going to be some who are faithful to preach the word and some who are not faithful to preach the word. Y'all with me? So we could pretty much say that. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe even in Nassau County that there are churches, uh, even evangelical churches and Baptist churches even, that, that perhaps the word of God is not being preached? Do you think that's a possibility? Yes? Okay. So here's the deal. All right? Yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, here's one. We're, you're not preaching the word. Anyway, so uh, preaching the word of God. Now, let me ask you this question. If we were to go to every preacher and we were to ask them the question, do you preach the word of God? How many of you would, you, you, how many of them do you think would say, oh, we don't preach the word of God here? What do you think they would say? We preach the word of God. Yeah. In fact, they would get upset by you even asking them because they would, in essence, be saying, hey, listen, why are you questioning me? We preach the word. Right. And so if you ask the congregation, even at those churches that perhaps are not preaching the word across America, what do you think the congregation would say when we ask, does your preacher preach the word? What do you think they would say? Absolutely. We wouldn't be here. Our, our preacher preaches the word of God. So here, here's the question. That here's, the, here's the conflict. So the preacher is supposed to preach the word of God. Okay. All right. We know that not everybody is preaching the word of God, but everybody thinks they're preaching the word of God. Do you see a, a problem here? What, what is the solution? What is the answer to this? What is the answer to this problem? Well, I want to take just a moment and try to answer what I think it is. And there's a man by the name of Jim Shattuck that I believe he answers this very, very clearly. He says the problem arises in that there is often a dis, there is a, often a disagreement and confusion concerning the preaching of the word, what it actually means. In other words, he says the problem is to fail to see the distinction between what Jim Shattuck calls God stuff versus good stuff. So there are many preachers that are preaching God stuff, but there are some preachers that are preaching primarily good stuff. Now, let me explain. Just stick with me. First of all, he defines God stuff like this. When a preacher preaches God stuff, it is the body of truth that is revealed in the Bible. It is given for the purpose of godliness and righteousness. Good stuff is helpful advice in life. That is comprised of information or principles gleaned from simple observations and research. Do you see the difference between the two? To preach the word means to preach what was revealed in this book and in this book alone. Do you understand? He says, but some are preaching good stuff, which is not necessarily found in the word of God. He says where it's found is in their own experiences through life. Either their experiences are something they've observed or the experiences or observations of somebody else, usually with a Ph.D. or lots of experience. Let me explain. For example, a therapist observes enough people dealing with stress on the job place that he will glean certain helpful principles for addressing the issue. If a marriage counselor observes enough people uh, journeying through divorce recovery, she will be able to develop some guidelines that are helpful for that crisis. If parents, if parenting experts talk with enough moms and dads who are raising kids, they will be able to outline some practical ways for navigating such a task. Do you see that? So just through observation, they can realize some truths. And then what do they do? They turn around and they preach it. And so here is the key. And there is always be a certain general truths in scriptures, which can be applied to these and other life 
experiences. So, for example, say next week I was going to sit there and say, hey, listen, next week I'm going to preach a new series entitled How to Raise Up Your Children. And the biblical principle we're using is the scripture and the word of God, which says, raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's older, he will not depart from it. OK, so we sit there and say, and what we're going to do through this series is to practically show you how to do this, to raise your kids in the way of the Lord. And then I sit there and say, over the next six weeks, I'm going to give you six. 60 ways for you to raise your kid rightly. Okay. And so then I say, get him to bed early. All right. Make sure that he's eating the right kind of diet. Okay. Make sure that, that you read something to him. Make sure that, and and you go through all this process. Here's the key. They use, they're not preaching the word of God. They're using a biblical principle to launch off and the the majority of the rest of everything they're saying is not coming from the word of God. Where is it coming from? It's coming from their own experience or the experiences of somebody else. It is not the word of God. Now, here's the key. It's not that what they're saying is wrong. It's interesting to me. Some people I'll know, they're like, hey, brother Mike, pray for me. I'm going to go to this church and visit with a friend. They want me to come. But I've heard that they don't preach the word of God. I've just heard that. I'm like, all right, brother, we'll just, you know, listen carefully. So they'll go into the church, they'll listen, and then they'll come back and they'll say, brother Mike, I was pleasantly surprised. He said, I said, well, what do you mean? They go, when I, when I went there, he goes, I didn't hear anything that was contrary to the clear teaching of the word of God. And that usually is true because here's what I want to say. When they preach good stuff, it's not that what they're preaching is not true. It might very well be true. And here's the key. It might very well be helpful, might be helpful in your marriage, might be helpful in raising your kids, might be helpful for your finances. He says, but here's the problem. We're not so concerned with what they're saying. What we're concerned is with what they're not saying. See, there's a problem. The problem is, first of all, threefold. First of all, is that the Bible is not written primarily to correct every problem It is written primarily to correct the problem. The problem that you and I are facing is sin. That is the problem. And that is the underlining problem to all the other problems. The reason for financial difficulties most often is why? Because of a sin problem. The reason problems within the marriage is because of what? Because of a sin problem. The reason that we're having trouble with our children primarily is because of what is because of a sin problem. Do you see that? So the Bible is not primarily set up to be a guidebook unto life for you. Please get this. If it was, then it would be an alphabetical order. It'd be like children, finances, and it would just have a big F tab for finances. You'd, you'd, you'd open it up and it would give you all this practical advice. It's not set up that way. Why? Because that's not the point. The point of it is to deal with the greatest problem of mankind, and that is the issue of sin that resides in every single one of us. Now, please understand something. That doesn't mean that the Bible is not sufficient. I'm not saying that the Bible is not sufficient to help you in your marriage, because it is. I'm not saying that the Bible is not sufficient to help you in finances and all those things. But what I'm saying is that's not the primary purpose of the text of Scripture. 
It is not a guidebook unto life. It is a guidebook instructing us on how to have a life unto God. Do you see the difference? To see the difference, how we can live a life that is pleasing to him. So the first problem is the Bible was not written primarily to correct every problem. It was written primarily to correct the problem of sin. Second, the preacher is not called to preach good stuff. He is called to preach God's stuff. A preacher is not called to sit there and preach from the pulpit something that is not directly found within the Word of God, no matter how true it might be. But here's the problem. People love this stuff. They love it. And the reason we love it is because we're self-centered and we hate suffering. And if you could give me something practical that speaks about me, then I'm going to be in that church, right? We eat it up. But the problem here is this, is that God did not call. The preacher is not judged according to how much good stuff he gives. He's judged on whether he preaches God's stuff. Paul even told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, listen to this. He says, avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. He says, you're not called to preach secular psychology or secular philosophy or how to do all these other things. You are called to do what? Preach the very word of God, the revealed word of God. And there's a third thing that we say here is this, is this. Here's the third problem. The third problem is his experience is preached as though it has the same authority as the word of God. When a man gets up in the pulpit, what you should be doing is you should be looking and understanding that he has been called to preach the word of God. And that what he is saying, as long as it's the word of God, is authoritative. And when a man of God gets up and preaches the word of God, then it is binding and authoritative for your life, whether you follow it or not. But here's the key. If he begins to get up and begins to teach things that are not clearly found within the word of God, he basically is teaching you something that is based on what he has observed in life or what others have observed in life. He is taking his own in the experience of other people and he is raising it to the same level as the sacred word of God itself. And at that point, we are in big trouble. Because we have then no way to be able to reject what somebody says. Because how can you, if you accept someone's experience as the same level and same authority as the written word of God, how do you argue against experience? How do you determine whether what they're saying is right or not? If you can't look in the word of God and be able to determine whether it's right or not. Are you with me? So that's what the ultimate problem is. So follow me just for a second. So then what is preaching the word of God? Preaching the word of God is not referencing the word of God. It's not using it as a launching pad of reading a scripture and then going and talking about a whole lot of things that some secular or even Christian psychologist has written. Preaching the word of God. Let me, let me lay this out for you in five easy steps. Here it is. Five easy steps. Isn't that nice? Here they are. First of all, the theme of the sermon comes from the theme of the text of Scripture itself. In other words, I don't think up something and say, I think this would be a great thing for me to speak about. And then try to find a Scripture to back me up. I back the word up. I just find a text of scripture within the word of God, within context. I look at it and whatever it is saying is going to be the theme of my message. What do you think the theme of this is? Preaching. What is the theme of the sermon? 
preaching. Okay, that's what we mean by that. And so what we do is, first of all, the theme of the sermon comes from the theme of the text. Secondly, the truth claims of the sermon come from the truth claims of the text of Scripture. I've made two truth claims. One is God has divinely called every preacher for all time to do what? Preach the word. Where did I get that? In the word. And I said that every preacher will be called and be held responsible. Another truth claim will be held accountable for how he handles rightly the word of truth. Where did we get that truth claim right here in the word of God? Principle number three, the sermon goes where the text of scripture takes us. We're kind of on a journey. We don't use it as a launching pad and then say, well, I kind of want to go this way when the word of God is taking us completely somewhere else. What do we do? We follow the word of God. Fourth principle, the explanation of the sermon is the explanation of the text. I have to explain the text. I have to get within the text. You got that? And then, and then finally, the application of the sermon is the careful application of the truth found in the text. My application has to be anchored within the truths of the word of God in which he is ultimately speaking. So look, get this. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you with this. Here's the key. If the preacher gets up and says something and the rest of the time he's never referencing the scripture, beware. If he makes a truth claim without demonstrating that it's clearly within the text of scripture, beware. But this is kind of how it should jive. He reads the scripture. He explains the scripture. He applies the scripture. And then what do we do again? We get back into the text. We read a little bit more. We explain it. We apply it. We go back to the text. We read the word of God. We explain it. We apply it. That's the preaching of the word of God. Do you get that? That's what he means by preach the word of God. Now, here's the second question is this. He raises the second question. What is he, when is he to preach? Well, he answers that as well. He says to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. What does he mean by that? It's simply this, when it's popular and when it's not popular, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. I know some of you are so spiritual, it's hard for you to believe that um, all preaching is not always popular. And, that, and I want to tell you as a preacher, it's not always convenient Neither is it, nor is it always popular to be able to do so. Sometimes it is, especially when people are hurting and they need encouragement. If they've lost somebody or if they just need to be reminded of the goodness of God. Boy, I love that. I love to know that there is a encouraging word of God to give those who are suffering God's people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And that's a convenient time to get up and to be able to expose that. But I want to let you know on the other side, sometimes... It's completely inconvenient. You need to understand that. For example, when people who come to God's house are shacking up with people who are not their spouse, and the Word of God deals with that, I want to let you know, sometimes me, Wimpy Mike, wants to be somewhere else, wants to say something else. I want to give you a little health, wealth, prosperity. You got that? I mean, that'd be much nicer than have to deal with the issue that you know that the people who are sitting there are dealing with, struggling with, fighting against. And so he says, in season and out of season. And I want to let you know another concept is preaching is kind of out of season. Less and less and less is there preaching within the church. People keep trying to push it to the side and make it less and less. There are people that say, listen, we need more music. Hey, music's great. We need more video. Hey, we need more this. We need more that. And so what they say is let's give little, less and less and less of preaching. What is it demonstrating? It's out of season. 
People don't want to hear it. Why? Well, let's look at the next part of the Word of God. He answers not only when is he to preach, when it's convenient, when it's not, but also how is he to preach. Now, notice what he says. He says to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort with complete patience and teaching. Let's look at this just very simply. First of all, reprove. What does that mean? Now, reprove and rebuke are very closely related. Reprove speaks of correcting someone's wrong behavior by helping a person to understand the error of their ways. You reprove or correct someone by clearly giving them the word of God so that they can see the error of their ways. It deals with their mind. In other words, when somebody is thinking falsely, you take the word of God and you reprove them by laying down the truth right next to their false belief that they have. And what they do is they look at that and they're like, okay, what I believe is wrong according to what church? The word of God. That's how you reprove. The next one is you rebuke. Now, this is a little bit more harsh, if you will. This is the correction that leads to the conviction of the heart that ultimately leads to repentance. It deals with the heart. By refuting error and misconduct with careful biblical teaching, the person comes under conviction and guilt for their sin and is led to repent. Have you ever heard one of those sermons? I don't like that guy because it makes me feel guilty. Well, he's just doing his job. See that? In the Word of God. Now, it's not me that should try to make you feel guilty, but the preaching and the explanation of the Word of God. How about, how, all I have to have is somebody explain the Word of God to me, and I can fall under conviction. Are you with me? There's a third thing he's supposed to be doing, and that's exhorting. Now, to come, that is to come alongside a brother or sister and to lovely, lovingly encourage them by showing them the way of obedience. This comes after reproving and rebuking. Once the person sees clearly what they have done, is broken over their sin, and led to repentance, the pastor then comes alongside his brother and sister and lovingly encourages them to change, and he shows them the right way to live unto God. Here's a fourth thing. And this is what, if you're a preacher, this is something I, look, this is something I have to remember. I'm not a very patient person. But he says, this is how I should preach. The Word of God says they're not only all these things, but with complete patience and teaching. Pastor needs to understand that not everyone will immediately open to correction and repentance of sin. Sometimes we are stubborn and we do not want to change. The preacher is to show patience just as Christ has shown great patience with us. Amen. And so that's the heart of a preacher. He's not supposed to get fed up with his... his, You guys that are being called to preaching, it's very easy, trust me, by experience, for me to sit there and go, oh, they just don't get it. Oh, they just don't get it. They just don't respond. And be impatient. But what we have to remind of ourselves is the wonderful, awesome, gracious patience that God has with us each and every day. So that is how he is to preach. But what is the problem with that church? What is the problem with this? The problem with this very clearly is people don't like to be corrected. Do you? People don't like to be to feel guilty for what they are ultimately doing, do they? And people certainly do not want to be told what to do. Are, are you with me? They might like that last part, the arm around the shoulder, but they don't like any of that other stuff. Now, let me ask you a question. He says, this is what preaching looks like. Then my question to you is, can preaching exist without these things? When you go into a house, please listen, when you go into the house of God, there should be something that's most of the time pulling at you, most of the time convicting you, 
most of the time demonstrating to you that there is something is not right. Why? Because there is something that's not right. Even though we have been saved, and even though we have the Holy Spirit that is drawn within us, you and I, let me just share this with you, whatever kind of false notion you have of who you are and how godly you are, you are so unbelievably far from who Jesus Christ is that you can never even comprehend it. And so when the Word of God is preached... It's calling us to be transformed in the image and likeness of Christ. And the reason we feel that pull and that conviction all the time is because we're not on it. And we're so far off that every time it's preached, we can ultimately... Are y'all, are y'all with me this morning? It hurts because what he's showing me is, hey, you're on the right or wrong track. So what we see next is that he ultimately tells us the trouble for preachers that people don't like it. Notice how he says it within the word of God. He says, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into, he goes off into myths. So what he's saying is, he says, a time is coming. Now, I think there's two different times that he has in mind. There is a specific time that's going to happen for Timothy that we know through church history that the people in Ephesus is finally going to sit there and go, we don't want to hear what you have to say anymore, Timothy. So what he's doing is he's kind of giving them one of those carpe diems. Hey, bro, seize the day. You better preach the word because at one point they're not going to listen to it anymore. So get on it. Preach the word. But there's another eschatological sense. Don't you love that? Eschatological sense, which means that there is going to be a period that is going to come later in the end times when the church, when the, at least the people who are sitting in the church aren't going to put up with that kind of preaching anymore. They're not going to want to say or sound doctrine anymore. They're not going to be able to stomach it. They're not going to want to be corrected. They're not going to want to... Um, feel guilty. They're not going to want somebody to tell them what to do according to the authority of the Word of God. Instead, what they are going to do is notice what the Word of God says again. He says, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So they will run from church to church when they get mad because of what the preacher is preaching. They will go to a place where it's not quite so hot. And they will say things like this. Why do you go here? Because I'm not judged here. Listen, I'm not condemned here. The Bible says because of our sins, we are already condemned. The word of God condemns us. God is the one who ultimately condemns us because of sin. But he's also the one who saves us. Do you got that? And when he says that they're not going to be able to hold to this anymore, what he's primarily saying is he's saying... He's saying that um, the itching ears means that they don't desire the word of God, which corrects and convicts, but rather they will desire words that will make them feel good, will overlook sin, and will even justify their sinful actions. Guys, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the time in which we're living. Time and time again, people sitting there, I've actually had on several occasions, and I thank God for their honesty. They have literally come and said, Brother Mike, listen, I can't keep living the way that I'm living and keep sitting in the church at Celebration Baptist Church. 
And I'm like, well, praise God, brother. Let's get on our knees and repent. And he says, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else. How sad is that? How sad is that? So he tells us all these things, and he tells us that it's going to be hard, but he gives them this final charge at the end. He says in verse 5, he says, as for you, and here's the charge. He's going to give them four things. He says, first of all, be sober-minded. Literally in the, in, in the Greek language, it means don't be intoxicated. He's not talking about getting a toddy for your body. What he's saying is letting your mind not be intoxicated by what? By the lure of people's desire, by fame, and the want and desire to be light. At the key of every preacher, believe it or not, even this preacher, is a desire to be light. And it can be intoxicating. And for any preacher that holds up the word of God, he might as well understand that those who are not truly converted are not going to like him very much. And he says, so keep a clear mind. Don't get your mind intoxicated by people pulling for you and wanting the, the, the good stuff. You have to preach God's stuff is because it's what you've been called to. The second thing, he says, endure suffering. I love that. I love guys who get out. I did the same thing. Here it is. I'm not trying to speak like I'm above. I love young pastors who get out of seminary. They're ready to go and in, 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 in chart, uh, you know, storm hell with a water pistol. They're willing to do whatever it is. And they get their teeth kicked in like crazy. They get their faces beat in because here is a 22, 23, 24, 26, wherever young guy, he comes out and he goes, hey, let me show you what I know. And the 50, 60 year old folk are like, no, you will find out what we know. Okay. And so they kind of put him in the place. And so they think that this is going to be this ride that people are going to love him. And he says, no, listen, you're going to be suffering. And then we're shocked that we're suffering for speaking the truth of the word of God. He says, if you're going to preach the word of God, you're going to have to endure suffering because people are not going to like it. And this is the way it manifests itself. Can I give you this? This is how it works. People don't come up and go, I'm angry with what you said. They are angry with what you said, but they know they can't argue with it because it's from the word. Got that? So what they go is, I'm angry with you because of what you did. See that? Or what you didn't do. And so they get mad at these other things. But you know what the truth of the matter is? They just cannot endure sound doctrine of the word of God. And so then he says, the third, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Which means this is that in the preaching of the word of God, it should always run through with the gospel. It should always lead to the gospel message. And even in this, we're leading to the gospel message. When you're preaching, we're preaching the gospel both for the believer and the unbeliever. What I mean by that is this. We preach the gospel Christ and Christ crucified so that you understand that when God calls you to a higher standard of living, it's not you're not going to do it just because you're trying harder. You're going to do it because the power of God now rests in you. The chains of sin and death have now been broken. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live the life in which God has called you to do. Why? Because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. But yet at the same exact time, I know, and Timothy knows and Paul knows, that at the same time, you understand that there will be people sitting out there that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That had never repented of their sin. Understood that they were lost, that they were deserving of the judgment of a holy God. And that the only way to escape it was to repent and place their faith completely and receive the free gift of Jesus Christ of salvation through his death, burial and resurrection. 
He says, they know. So we preach that because there's an opportunity for folks to get saved, even this morning. Let me close with just a few points of application. Here we are. Number one, understand this, that God has chosen preaching as the divine means of transformation. Guys, I don't believe that this is the conviction of the church today. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1.21 says. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God that through the folly or through the foolishness of preaching, He chose to save those who would believe. So a lot of people today, they sit there and say, Hey, listen, let's use more video. Let's use more song. Let's use more drama. Let's use more this. Let's use more that. Let's use more programs. But here's what I want you to hear. And this is what I want you to, you may know it, blow the dust off. Make this your conviction of yours again. God says, the reason that we preach in Celebration Baptist Church is because it is the preaching and proclamation of the word of God that God has divinely chosen to transform men, women, and children into the likeness of God. He did not choose video. He did not choose the music. He did not choose the drama. He chose from eternity's past the proclamation, the speaking out of the word of God to change people, to transform them into salvation and to make them look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a conviction that you must have and I must have. Second point of application is this. Because God has called a preacher to preach God's stuff rather than good stuff, I will expect nothing more and nothing less. When you come to the house of God, you should not come in and look for five ways to better finances. You should not come for more of that stuff. What you could, should do either is you should not settle for anything less than the true preaching of the word of God. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? If you come to the house of God or if you go to another church or wherever it is, unless the guy can look into the text of Scripture and you can accurately see that all the truths that he is expounding and proclaiming are coming through something that has already been revealed to us by God in his word, then guess what? You should expect nothing less than that. You should come with a passion. <laughs> a passion that, hey, look, preacher, you should stick it to me. Do you, you get it? Not about parking or a sign or a chair, but sit there and go, Brother Mike, what we're going to hold you accountable for here as a preacher at Celebration Baptist Church is we will settle for nothing less than the preaching of God's word. Amen. And there's a third part of the application. And notice this. Here it is. Is when the word of God is preached Accurately and biblically. God is speaking and the sermon is as true, as binding and as authoritative as if God were speaking to you and to me directly in an audible voice. In other words, when I properly exegete and explain the text of Scripture with the same intent of the Scripture itself... And clearly explain it to you. Guess what? God is speaking. A holy God on high is speaking. 
And we come into the house of God, dreary, tired, half asleep, dragging our weary bones inside, expecting nothing. But yet the creator of the universe is speaking. He's speaking. Are you listening? 